everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today on episode number 253 of the Real Life Runners podcast. Today we're talking to Kevin all about his experience at the Keys 100 Mile Ultra Marathon this past weekend. We're going to answer a lot of questions that are on everybody's minds like, why would you do this? How do you even train for something like this? How did the race go? And lots more. So stay tuned. This is the Real Life Runners Podcast, and we're your hosts, Kevin and Angie Brown. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now let's get running. All right, so we are talking to Kev today all about his experience at the Keys 100, and we have so many questions, like so many questions about training for this race. Why would we even do this race? How did the race go? So many different things. Yeah, I know. I saw the outline. It's, it's a lot of questions. It is there. a lot of questions. And a lot of the questions are from me. And a lot of the questions are from our audience, from people on our training team, from people that are, um, you know, following us on Instagram. And speaking of that, thank mm-hmm. you guys. Thank you so much to all of you that were following along with Kevin's story over the weekend and that reached out with support and prayers and love and just so many good vibes and good energy that you all were sending to us this weekend. We felt it. And we just wanted to say thank you for following along and sending all that support our way. Yeah, it was great. All the messages that got sent, I got to read a lot of them uh, on the drive back home, Yeah, um, which was nice because it gave me something to do. Yeah, and not have to think about soreness and pain and uh, yes yeah we'll get into that we are going to get into that so we're going to ask all the things today and if there's anything that we don't get to in this podcast that you guys have questions about please come over to instagram and send me a dm at real life runners um and we will definitely answer all the questions that come in yeah angie loves putting me on instagram live hey (laughs) we have another question here record this yeah. Um, I love interacting with you guys over on Instagram. So if you're not, if you're not following us yet, head over there at real life runners and follow us over on Instagram and feel free to send me a DM. I would love to just kind of chat with you guys about your runs, answer any questions that you might have and help you out there. So let is, let's get to this. Great. Um, so first thing I wanted to talk about is training for a 100 mile race, like okay. with this goal in your mind. Now, if you guys haven't yet, um, we did, uh, an episode a few back about Kevin's 50 mile run about, it was about a month or so ago, a month, month and a half ago. Yeah. So I would, so that was probably like four or five episodes ago. I would go back and take a look at that one. We really talked about like why this was even a goal for you. Yes. Right. And kind of a, a little bit more of that, but when we think about training for a 100 mile race, my, the first question that a lot of people come up with is like, why? Okay. Like, why would you even want to do something like this? Uh, Some people, first of all, were like, wait, what? Is that even a thing? Like yeah, people don't what, even like know this is a thing. That's what you said is that yeah. people were coming back with like that. That's, that's not a thing. I didn't like, even know that was possible. Like, yeah, sure. It's an ultra marathon. Yeah. But wait, what's an ultra marathon? What's anything longer than a marathon? Mm. And so there's like, there's 50 K's, which are 31 miles, 50 miles. And then there's hundred K's. Those are 62 miles, hundred miles. And there's even longer things. There's backyard ultras. There's a lot of different styles of them, but yeah. anything over a marathon is an ultra. So hundred miles, um, why? So I knew of this race from a guy that used to drive me into school. Uh, he had done this race. That's literally where I even knew that this race existed. And why did you need someone to drive you to school? So like, I, like for those of you, <laughs> for people that might be new to the podcast. All right, so I needed somebody to drive me to school because I wasn't allowed to drive to school because I had had a seizure. 
that was due to the we don't know number of stress the combined number of stresses on me we don't really know for sure like for those of you guys that are unfamiliar with the story kevin had a series of three seizures that were all about four months apart and we really don't know like he went through all the tests and all the tests came back normal so the best guess we have based on what the neurologist said and what we kind of researched on our own is just all of the stressors in your life combined kind of pushed you over that seizure threshold that apparently all of us have. Yes. And mine is likely slightly lower. The the one neurologist said it's probably an extra little wrinkle. And she kind of like demonstrated where it would be on my brain, but in order to do it, she'd have to like drill into my head. Right. They it. couldn't find it. Right. So um, essentially there were too many stresses in my life lack of sleep, work, kids, everything together, and then throw marathon training on top of it. So there was just, there were too many things. Yeah. And I really think that the biggest part of all of that was really that sleep deprivation, sleep deprivation, chronic sleep deprivation. Uh, I mean, stress with like kids and work was, mm -hmm. was a contributor also in for there. sure. For sure. Um, but so like, I've worked on, I've worked on both of those extensively. Right. So that's a little bit of background, but so during that time period, Kevin was not allowed to drive a car true. until he was six months seizure free. So he did have uh, a work friend and I had a few actually yes that would take him to work which was amazing because that was one less trip I had to make because I, I had to drive the, the kids everybody else around yes, you were driving everybody yeah so that was fantastic because Kevin would get um, rides into school and one of the guys that you had gotten the ride from did this race he right? had done this race so mm -hmm. I knew that ultras existed when I grew up one of my neighbors ran ultra races he ran marathons he ran ultra marathons mm -hmm. um and then when we were at like the state meet or a, a different cross country meet, something in the middle of the state, they were having an ultra marathon that we like drove past on our way to dinner. And it was like a bunch of runners on the side of the road, like trugging along with like a bunch of like reflective vests and stuff like that. And the cars driving like near them with the, the signs that say like caution runner on road. Like we drove past that. So like, I know ultra marathons exist um, you know, we're running coaches, like we know the concept behind yeah. them, but it sounded interesting. Um, the idea to start kind of like pushing towards longer things, honestly, the like lack of races in 2020 started pushing me that direction. Okay. Cause that was really my first ultra that I ever did mm -hmm. was, what was that? December, was that new year's Eve of mm -hmm. 2020 Yeah. that I did 2020 into 2021. Yeah. 20 December 31st, 2020. Yeah. I ran a 50K, so 31 miles of looping our neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And then I tried to increase to a 50 miler. And okay, so it was really, building. that makes sense. So it was like really the pandemic that you're like, well, I can't race right now. So I might as well just keep going longer. Yeah. So let's, let's see what happens. Cause it's hard when you get to a certain place to kind of keep pushing yourself even faster, unless you can set up like time trials. Cause mm -hmm. you're like the Bowerman track club. So you set up your own mini time trial and yeah. knock out times. I don't have people, a lot of people around us that are my same pace. Okay. All right. So instead of trying to get faster in your marathon time, which was your goal, it was to keep improving your marathon time. Yeah. It was, it became, let's just see how far I can go. Yeah. I mean, this has always been a thought in the back of my head mm -hmm. is ultra marathons always kind of intrigued me yeah. of how far could I ultimately go? Okay. So how do you actually train for a hundred mile race? 
you, you run a lot <laughs> and you practice eating a lot. Okay. And, and both of those are super key. Um, you don't necessarily run more in training for a hundred mile race than you would in training for like a 26 mile race. That's the interesting thing. Like, See, that, that to me is, is what doesn't make sense. <laughs> so a lot of it is just being able to consistently be on your feet. So it's like do a long run and then don't just do nothing for the rest of the day. Like that's a good training method for this. Um, and it really, it depends on like how fast you're running for the ultra marathon, mm -hmm. but like we've got people on our team that it's like, all right, go get in your long run and then continue just walking for another two hours. Like that, that is going to be quality training. For Interesting. It. So how long was your longest training run during this process? And why did you make the decision for that to be the, the number? So uh, there were a couple like longer things. Like my longest individual run was a 50 miler. I tried to do a 50 miler over Christmas break because mm -hmm. I was off and I had like a, a window that I could work with and I only made it 37. So then I did a, a 50 miler over Easter break. I probably would have gone... I don't think I actually would have gone any longer than 50. I think 50 was a quality, like long run build up into it. Um, the other things that I was doing was a long run Saturday followed by a long run Sunday. Mm -hmm. So I would do like a 20 on one day followed by another 20 the next day mm -hmm. where you're trying to deal with like, I'm really tired and now I'm going to go start a 20 miler. Yeah. Like that deals with a lot of like the mental challenge of I'm exhausted to begin with. And now I just have to start my long run. That seems tricky. So I did some of those guys also, but I didn't go any further than 50 just because the, the breakdown on the body is just too much. Yeah. Well, and I think that part of that, of, of like what you have to consider also is your pace doing these runs as well, yes. right? Like you tend to run a quicker pace. Kevin's like easy pace is around like seven minutes per mile. So for him to do a 20 mile run, you're out there for about how long? Two, two and a half hours, exactly. two and a half hours. So for other people to do a 20 mile run, they're out there for like five hours or yes. six hours. Right. Yep. So it really does depend on your pace. And so to that end, do you think that the mileage is more important or like the time out there is more important? I, I think there's a combination of them. Uh, if you're going for like the really long, long runs, I think a lot of it is time on your feet. Um, like one of the things that I would consider changing to my like training plan would be essentially to extend not the necessarily the running, but the extra time on my feet on long run days. Yeah. Um, this is stuff that I keep hearing because I keep, you know, looking more and more into training for ultras and stuff like that. And a lot of it is like, well, after your long run, then go for, you know, they're dealing with people that are in like mountains and stuff. It's like, well, I did my long run. And then I went for a hike for another four hours. Yeah. Like, well, that's, that's a lot. And mm -hmm. that's like, we don't really necessarily have the environment here to pull that off, yeah. but there's, there's things that you could do where it's like, okay, after you've done some really hard exercise, you know, whatever the long run is, then be back outside, stay outside in the elements for a good amount of time. So I could just give you more yard work to do. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like yard go. work. Our yard is going run. to look awesome <laughs> the next time you train for your next ultra. Excellent. <laughs> so what other adjustments would you say you had to make like for the rest of your life in order to train for this race? Okay, so one of the biggest things, um, I, I know one of the biggest ones that we're going to get into and talk to on, on some more details was trying to adjust my weight. Um, but one of the like personal things I had to do was try and remove other things that were taking up my time. You know, we talk about this on the podcast a lot about like, you have enough time to do what you want. You just have to decree what it is that you want. So one of the things I took away was coaching track this season. Yeah. Like 
we had talked about like, can I train for an ultra? Sure. But I don't think that I can safely train for an ultra and coach the track season just because of the time commitment to that and the mental strain of coaching track. Like track season is, is mentally difficult to train when, when I'm, I'm head coach of that. Yeah. The way that you coach track and the environment of the track team at the school that you coach at is not an easy thing. Being a head coach at a small school's track program means that you're coaching pretty much every single one of the athletes in all of the different events, which it's a very stressful and like you, you feel stretched. You feel very mentally stretched Mm -hmm. by the end of that, especially following like a meet that goes from like four o'clock in the afternoon till 1030 at night. Yeah. Like trying to do that and then be like, all right, and now I'm going to go do a long run. And then the next day do another long run. Like there's just, there's a mental load where it's just like that, that's going to be too much. Right. And I want to try and stay Overall, like the big picture is still physical health. Like I'm, I don't want to do a hundred and then just, you know, wreck my mind and body. Yeah, exactly. So overall, how would you say that your training went leading up to this race? Like, did you have any setbacks along the way? Like what were things that you really were trying to focus on during your training? I, most of the training went pretty well. The last few months have gone really well ever since I like cleared January. So like I said, I I tried a 50 in late December and I didn't make it. I made it 37 miles. Mm -hmm. And then I really foolishly was angry at myself. And so instead of taking break, like a a reasonable few days off or easy or something like that, because, you know, I had just run 37 miles. I got frustrated and tried to do like speed work, I think three days later and um, hurt my calves. And so then I couldn't really run fast or as much as I wanted for the entire month of January. But once I cleared that and, and was moving better, the rest of it's gone pretty well, I would say. Would you say you had any setbacks besides that one big thing? I mean, that was my major physical setback. The other thing that I've been trying essentially all the way along the way is to just gain as much weight as possible, Yeah, which is tricky when my mileage keeps ramping up as I'm going from like 50 to 60 to 70 miles a week like the mileage is increasing. So I was already eating a ton of calories at like 40 miles a week, trying to put on a little bit of weight. So then to go from 40 up to 70 miles a week, I had to be taking in even more calories. It was, it was a lot. It changed a lot of the way that I go through runs. Like on long runs, I was good about like eating during them and eating after them. I've, I've always been pretty good about eating during and after on a long run, but now it was like, basically every single run, I I was trying to make sure that I had post-run nutrition almost immediately, which is Mm -hmm. not something that I'm used to doing on like a 45 to 60 minute, like relaxed pace run. So how did that go? It was annoying. Okay. I think it's really like, that's going to be my take on it is it was, that was my less enjoyable aspect of training is like eating and, and just having to concentrate so much on how much I'm eating and when I'm eating and making sure that I am eating it, that was mentally annoying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that that's one of the biggest things that you, that you struggled with, at least from my view on it. And, um, I felt like I was trying to help and remind you, and it kind of was like bordering on like that naggy yes. nagginess. Like I didn't want to be like <laughs> nagging you, but at the same time, I'm like, have you eaten? Like, how much have you eaten? Like trying to help you make sure that you're hitting those nutrition goals. Yeah. It was very like, anytime you'd be like, have you eaten? I, I, in order to not be like, and she's nagging me about eating again. It was like, and my coach is reminding me that I need to put food in my body. Mm. Like I, I had to, I came up with that 
months ago yeah. that anytime you would mention food, I had to flip and be like, this is not my wife at all. This no. is my coach making sure that I've taken in enough calories today. Yeah. So it made it a much, that's a good shift. I made it a much more pleasant environment because yeah. otherwise I could have gotten really frustrated with you. Easily. And like that's, that wasn't right. it. You were just trying to make sure that I was, mm-hmm. I was staying healthy. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So let's talk a little bit about like the pre-race prep, um, you know, cause this is like an interesting part and this is where I can guys, where I can give you guys my two cents on, um, how, how to prep for this kind of race, because there's a lot that goes into prepping for a hundred mile race. So I don't know a lot about all of the other ultras out there, but for this race, Kevin, was required to provide his own support along the race. Okay. So there were no aid stations along the race, which is weird for ultras. Right. There was absolutely zero aid stations provided yeah. at all. And honestly, like now I can understand it. at first I was like really annoyed by it. Like when you first told me that I'm like, what the heck? Like, what are we even paying for that? You know, like seriously, <laughs> cause like the registration fee for this race was not cheap no. either. And I'm like, what, they're not going to give you anything. Like not even just like water stations. Like what is going on here? And now, like, as I was like prepping for the race, and then especially now afterwards, I can understand why they would make this decision. And the decision was originally made because of COVID. Yep. Right. Like, so when they first ran this race, was it last year? Do they, they didn't do it in 2020. They did not do it in 2020. They did it last year. In 21, they decided, okay, we're going to do the race, but every, everybody has to just provide their own stuff. Right. So there was no contamination or anything that way. This year they've increased the amount of people, but they kept it to everybody has to provide their own um, support crew. And then they said they would reconsider possibly bringing back aid stations next year because the race got closer to its like normal size. And I'm curious, like what they would provide at those aid stations, but like, you know, why I say, (laughs) so what our dining room table looked like yeah. right before packing. That's what an ultra aid station. So they would like. just kind of give you a whole it's like variety. A, it's of a, stuff. like all you can eat buffet of like sugar and salty foods okay. just sitting there. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah. So, I mean, and why I say I can kind of understand it is because each ultra runner trains differently, right? Right. Whatever you practice fueling, you wanted to make sure you had that specific thing on hand, right? Because we kind of go back to the nothing new on race day mantras, right? And so I can understand the benefit of like having each runner provide their own food and fuel, because then you can make sure and guarantee that you have exactly what you need. Right. Right. Um, and this course also has an extensive amount of places where you can meet with mm-hmm. your support crew, yeah. which you don't which get was on, fantastic. Right. Which you don't get on a lot of like trail ultras. Mm-hmm. It's like, all right, you see your support crew. And then 20 miles later, you mm-hmm. might see your support crew again. Yeah. Like, you're, you're gone. Yeah. For Cause a you while. can't get to those places. Exactly. Like for this one, we basically just leapfrogged Kevin down the course. So essentially we started in Key Largo. The goal was to get to Key West and it was like every two to five miles, there were stops along the way. And so it was like, they gave us like a very detailed course map of like, okay, at this mile marker, you can stop in this parking lot. And then you would stop and we would set him up and he would stop and we would give him everything he needed, but planning it out ahead of time, making sure that he had all of the fuel, right? So we needed to make sure 
that he had water that he had. We had a backpack, a hydration pack. We mm -hmm. had handheld water bottles for him to always have something. We wanted to make sure that he had um, both water and like a sports drink. We chose body armor with like the electrolytes in there. Mm -hmm. um, you had a couple, we had different varieties of gels. You had different varieties of um, powders that we made into a drink. Yep. Um, so there was a lot of different, then there was like real food options too. Right. Lots and lots of different food options because one of the things with an ultra is you're taking in so many calories. Yeah. So the, the suggestion is somewhere between like 250 and 350 calories per hour. Mm -hmm. So we were aiming to try and make sure that I stayed at at least 300. 300 was our goal. Yeah. Um, that was, that was the goal. And then as it got to like really hot in the middle of the day where you really don't want to eat at all, it was like, okay, well, let's try and still get at least as close to that as we possibly can. Mm -hmm. But if you vary the types of, it's all sugar coming into you. If you vary the types of sugar coming into you, your body can digest them slightly differently. So if you just give your body only like fructose, yeah. then eventually your body, like the enzymes that are trying to digest it are like, okay, we're, we're all being used right now. So we can't digest anything else. Yeah. But if you give yourself like just a different type of sugar, there's different enzymes that are like right. ready and available and able to digest it. So I had a variety of foods. And we had a fueling plan going into it. You know, we yes, had, we, a, we had a spreadsheet that we were calculating like how many calories were in this bar and how many calories were in this gel and like making sure that we had it all planned out so that we had at least a plan going into it. We understood that we were definitely going to need to make adjustments on the fly, but at least we had an idea of what was going on. Um, some other things that we had to plan out are clothing and shoes. You yep. know, we wanted to make sure that we had an extra pair of shoes available, lots of clothing available in case you needed to change. Changing socks on a regular basis. Yep. Like if you're in an ultra, especially like a hot, sweaty ultra, you're going to need regularly changing out your socks. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, different logistics, like planning out these things ahead of time, right? Like I said, there was a lot of spreadsheets going on, making sure that we knew like where the stops were along the way and like what we were going to plan on giving him at each stop and, you know, just trying to plan out as much as possible, but also understanding that this is a flexible plan, right? I mean, that's kind of how, how coaching works also. Yeah. Like here's the plan with as many details as possible. Mm -hmm. And the entire thing is flexible also. Yeah. And a big thing that Kevin and I had to do too, um, were making decisions ahead of time. So uh -huh. this was like, what, a week or two before, two weeks before it was on mother's day that yeah. I had my little freak out. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm not going to lie to you guys. I, <laughs> I will tell you that my brain started going crazy on me. And I just started thinking about like, oh my God, why is he doing this? I can't believe he's taking this on. Like, why would he even risk all of this? And my brain went to, you know, the seizure history and like all sorts of stuff. Like, why would he even risk it's, this? This is I've ridiculous. been training for months. I'd knocked out a 50 mile yeah. race and then just a couple of it's suddenly because we were getting emails. I had actually officially signed up for the thing. Mm -hmm. The reality of it was hitting both of us. Yeah. And yeah, you kind of freaked well, out and, a little bit. Well, and we went to church that day and, yeah. the, and the priest was talking about, um, a, a widow, like a, a friend of his that was in hospice mm -hmm. and like, he was talking to the wife and blah, 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 blah. And then it just like my brain from there would just like spiral down. Yeah. So we had to have a talk a very serious conversation it very, and it was one that needed to happen, you know? So yes. it, it just, it was triggered that day, but it, it was one that needed to happen because I needed to know as your captain, your pit, your chief, uh, crew chief, crew chief. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, how do I know when to encourage you to continue versus when to make you stop? 
Right. right. And we needed to make that decision together ahead of time because I did not want to be the reason that you didn't achieve your goal. Yes. Like you, you needed to come to that decision ahead of time. And then I would just carry that out yes. in the moment if there was any sort of resistance. Right. Because when you're out there for hour upon hour at some, sometime during that, you're going to, to think to yourself, I'm, I'm done. Yeah. I'm going to quit now. Right. And your crew is going to be like, you're doing great. Mm -hmm. You can keep going. And at that point you need the cheerleader. Yeah. But there's another time where you're like, I'm doing great. And your crew needs to be like, you, um, your, your leg is not even attached anymore. What do you No, right. You're not doing okay. Or you just threw up the last three miles. I did not also do that. Yeah. Um, you didn't throw up at all. Did you? No, I tried. Um, I We'll get to that. But uh, you're, you and your crew need to be on board with what is it that says, okay, this race is now done mm -hmm. and this has become a DNF versus we're going to push through and we're going to keep going. And with history of seizures, we needed a very serious conversation about yeah. like, what is it that says we get to pull the plug mm -hmm. and what says we're going to take a little break. What says we're going to keep pushing. Like, yeah. and so we had that conversation, which was, it was a good conversation because yeah. it was very just straightforward. With well, it needed us. to be very matter of fact, yes. right? Because Kevin's big thing, like before his um, seizures were, was a, a headache. Like that was like the big thing. And like, and this was part of the issue is that there wasn't like very clear signs. Like, you know, it's not like there's a lot of different aura symptoms that people can experience yes. before a seizure. Kevin had a wor a headache that just kind of got worse. And a lot of his symptoms basically mimic dehydration, right? Which so it's is like, unfortunate. okay, well, we know that you're going to get dehydrated. So how do we know if you're just dehydrated or if there's something worse that's possibly going to happen here? Right. Cause like really the, the aura that I get is, is a headache kind of like right behind my eyes that gradually moves into an upset stomach. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, okay, you're going to run for hour upon hour. I bet you end up with a headache and an upset stomach right. somewhere during that. So the question was, okay, so how do we treat it? And the how answer so if I get like the headache and we're pretty sure, okay, this might just be de dehydration. I was totally willing to take like a short break and just put in some water and see if the headache would fade. Yeah. Or, you know, if it was like barely just coming on, maybe I'll just, I'll walk for a little bit and just start taking in some good quality of water without trying to like really physically exert myself and see if that goes away. Yeah. And if it doesn't, then maybe sit down, see if we can get some food and some drink in, maybe mm -hmm. it'll go away. And if it doesn't, and that headache and that stomach ache persists and it, it feels familiar to me, then we, we needed to be done. Right. Exactly. And so that, that was kind of what we needed to do ahead of time is we yeah. needed to, to talk that out, say, okay, what are the symptoms that we need to look for? What is our plan? And then move forward. Right. So at almost every single stop that I came in and you'd be like, how's your head? Yes, that is true. I, I would do a, so we started to do body checks. Like yes, we I did. was like, all right, headache from zero to 10, right? Is there, is there any head? Your know, head's fine. And his head was fine the whole time. Whole thank time. God. So that was good. But I would be like, okay, how's your head? How's your stomach? How are your legs? And we'll get into that when we talk about like race day here. Yeah. Um, but we're still kind of in the, in the prep ahead of time. So let's touch briefly on the week leading up to the race. Okay. okay. Like, how did you feel physically in the week leading up to the race? Meh. Meh. Oh yeah. Why meh? T uh, tapering. Physic. Okay. 
but physically that makes you feel meh. So I did not have a good run the entire week before the race. Uh Like every time I headed out, legs weren't feeling great. Like I did one like mini workout on the Tuesday or Wednesday before the race. Um, and that, that felt fine, but my heart rate was just higher than it should have been for the effort that I was going through. And it was warm. Like if the race had happened like two weeks earlier, the temperature would have been so much nicer. The whole week leading to the race was just like a ramp up in temperature. And so it was, it was plenty warm when I was doing that thing, but I basically didn't have a run that I finished and was just like, yeah, that felt good. Mm -hmm. Like they all felt like I was struggling more than I should be based off of like the speed I was going, the effort I was putting forth, like everything just felt harder than it should have been. Mm -hmm. My, my sleep all week was dicey probably due to a lot of nerves more than anything. Um, but I wasn't getting good sleep. Um, my resting heart rate overnight was like almost 10 beats per minute higher than it should have been, Mm -hmm. which apparently on a podcast I listened to while running for hours upon hours down in the keys. Um, if you're used to running substantially higher mileage and then you cut back drastically during a taper week, you tend to increase your resting heart rate. Interesting. So, um, I wonder why, do you know? Yes, but it was only a few hours into my run, and then I had another ten hours, so I don't remember the details behind it. I'll have to go um, back and but, figure that out. But your resting heart rate does increase. Um, so, just hearing that kind of brightened me up a little bit. Somewhere around, I don't know, fifteen, twenty miles into the run, of like, yeah. oh, okay, well, that makes sense. But I, di- I honestly, I didn't feel that great for the whole week going into it. Yeah, I think nerves were a good part of it. Um, not that I was nervous about how I was going to do, but just I'd never run further than fifty, and now I was going to do a hundred. That still kind of sounds crazy, pants. Yeah. <laughs> it does. Yeah. So, what were you like thinking about in the the week leading up to the race? So, and like, did you use any like mental tools? Were you trying to like visualize or do anything like that? I kept trying to make the race not as huge of a thing as, as I could have, Mm -hmm. like, you know, we talk about this a lot, like a race is simply, it's a checkpoint along the way. And you kept being like, this is going to be the biggest race you've ever run in your life. I'm like, well, that's the opposite of what I'm trying to tell myself, <laughs> but thank you. Sorry for um, that. Thanks for that. And I'm like, but I was really, I was trying to like de-emphasize like that this is, this is what I've been training for, for the last several months slash like semi-training for years going into this thing. Like, no, this is, this is another race. We're going to go out and we'll see how the day goes and really just trying to be like, look, let's just see how this day goes, Mm -hmm. you know? And I had a wide range of expectations going into the race. And the more that it was just trying to like push nerves aside of like, I'm not nervous. I'm like, I'm, I have no idea how this is going to go. Mm-hmm. Nerves make sense. Yeah. So I don't need to be overwhelmed by them. Like this feeling mm-hmm. is completely logical. I'm good to go. And that, that helped a little bit. I think the best sleep I had was honestly the night before the race. Okay. That's so good. That, so that's good. What was your goal going into this race? Um, winning. Winning the race the first time you've ever <laughs> run a hundred mile race you wanted to win. So, so I looked up like the finishing times of previous years. Uh-huh. I knew how fast I had run the 50. I could ballpark what that would suggest for a hundred miles. Mm-hmm. So I thought I could probably finish somewhere near the front of this race. Okay. Beyond that, I was like, all right, maybe who knows who shows up for this race. Sure. So 
winning is never necessarily a thing that you can suggest. Like I've got, I've got to go out and win because I don't even know all the names of like elite ultra runners. Right. The guy that won it was from Portugal. Like I have no idea who this guy was. Mm-hmm. At one point I ran next to him and I was, I go like, Hey, and he kind of looked over at me like, yeah, you don't speak Portuguese. And then turned, turned away from me and just kept on running. <laughs> like he threw a look at me that was just like, does he speak Portuguese? no, we're not going to have a conversation and then turn back and just kept running ahead. I'm like, all right, great. Um, so, funny. so uh, yeah, I mean, part of it was, I wanted to go out there and, and not just run, but actually compete. Um, part of it was somewhere in the like 16 to 18 hours, try and stay under 20 hours was like a, a, a secondary time goal. Like it was, it was a wide range of somewhere in the 16 to mm-hmm. 20 hours to be like my goal you know, we talk like A, B, and C goals. Mm-hmm. My A, B, and C goals were wrapped up in the 16 to 20 hour range. And then as things started like falling behind that, I didn't want to just be out there walking from Key Largo to Key West. That was not my goal. So if I got to that point, which also was part of our, like before the race conversation is yeah. I have no desire to just walk a hundred miles down to Key West. That's not, not the plan. So if we get to that point, I'm, I'm no longer in the race, so I'm not sure how much longer I'm going to do it. Well, that, that was one of my questions to Kevin going into it also is like, what do you, like, what do you want to get out of this race? And I, the big question is like, what are you trying to prove here? I asked you that and you're like, I'm not really trying. I don't feel like I have to prove anything. And that was like a a reassuring answer for me because yeah, you and the other adult we had on our crew. Yeah. Cause she also had a very serious conversation with me. Right. You know, because I'm like, I find it like, if you feel like you have something to prove a lot of times you'll push through symptoms that you shouldn't push through. Yeah. Good point. Right. Like Real it's like point. this chip on your shoulder. You're like, I got something to prove here. Like, you know, I can do this thing or what, whatnot, but Kevin's mindset kind of going into it was, I felt very, level-headed as much as possible, as, as much as you can call someone <laughs> who's attempting a hundred mile race, uh, level level-headed, but he was like, you know, this is really what I want to do. I'm not going to do anything stupid. I'm not going to put myself in jeopardy, you know, on purpose. Like I'm going to be smart about this. And yeah. I was like, okay, then that's fine. All right. So your goal going into this was to possibly compete well, to compete and possibly win, depending on what was going to happen. Yeah, you Obviously have no, you have you no, no idea. idea. And then you had this other time range in your mind, like a pretty substantial time range. Okay. And was that kind of it? So, so it wasn't really a goal for you to just finish the race. Right. Which kind of, so that's an interesting one because a lot of times we tell people like when you go into a race for the first time, one of your goals should just be completion. Right. So I think I could have completed the race. I know you could have. Yeah. I mean, I I shouldn't say I know you could have, I, I believe you could have also like it would have taken a substantial break to make sure that we got fluids and food and different things into you before you could continue. Right. So one of the things that we tell people, especially like brand new marathoners is one of your goals should be just go in to, for completion. But I also had a goal of trying to be able to compete in a, like a range of times I was going for and pure completion. Yeah. And those times did not align with each other. If I was going in for pure completion, I would have started by taking like uh, a one to two minute walking break every mile. Mm-hmm. 
And it would have completely changed my like time approach and fueling approach. Like everything would have changed. And the goal would have been to finish. Like I, I would have started uh, with times over 24 hours. Okay. And it would have been completely different, okay. very different possible outcome in the race. I probably mm-hmm. would have finished the race somewhere around, I don't know, 24 to six hours. Okay. That wasn't what I was going for. Mm-hmm. So the idea of just getting across the finish line was not, it would have changed how I would have run the entire thing. Yeah. Well, that's interesting too, because that was something that I was talking to some friends of ours before the race or like a week before. And they were like, well, I mean, if Kevin's trying to run it in like 16 hours, like in the course cutoff is 32 hours. That's yep. a really big buffer. Like he could literally nap for like four hours and then keep going. And I was like, Oh, that's true. Like I had never really thought about that as an option before, but there are plenty of people that actually do that, that actually stop and take a, take a nap. I mean, on like multi-day ultras, people will nap on, on, you know, the small break between them, yeah. but not really on, on a race like not this. Really you just, this? you just keep going. Okay. okay. You know, you can like, but you can take like that. You could have taken like an extended break. Yes. I could like have extended a, an hour or more. Yes. Yeah. You mentioned, you mentioned that, that your friends would like, well, he could nap for like four hours. I'm like, I'm going to nap for four hours and then keep going. Yeah. My body's going to be so stiff and sore yeah. when I try and get back up from that, that that sounds that that's not a, a good mm-hmm. viable option. I don't think I yeah. would be so sore after taking a four hour nap in the car. Mm-hmm. Like that would be awful to try yeah. and then get up and move again that I'm not even sure that I could have pulled that off. Yeah. Um, if I had gone just purely for completion, I would have started completely different from the start. Like the way that the race went, the, it went off in waves. So there was like elite wave one, elite wave two, and then the wave that I was in. So the first like five miles, I kept passing people thinking to myself, this guy might pass me later. This girl's probably going to pass me later. Oh, here's a couple of guys. That seems like a reasonable pace. And then they started chatting with each other about like how fast they were going. The one guy's like, you know, I'm just trying to maybe try and take it under 24 hours. I'm like, well, that's not my group. And I kept on moving and I wasn't pushing very fast. I kept looking at my clock. I'm like, I'm not flying out here. I'm staying like way into my comfort zone pace wise, but I just kept pushing up until I, I was, I think I was first at one point in time Mm -hmm. other than like relay teams out there. Yeah. Okay. So that's part one, kind of giving you guys an insight to what led up to the race. So check out part two, if you want to hear all about what actually happened in Kevin's race at the keys 100.